Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower. I'm your other host, Charles Raptors. We don't have time for a bit. Let's get straight into it. <laughs> All right, let's do looking it. At, looking at my notes for this, I'm like, uh, no. We do have a lot. Uh, well, you can tell the people at least what we're talking about. Yeah, we're talking about Andor episode one. I'm excited. Let's get into it. Uh, so before yes. we start the actual episode, I did want to bring up the Star Wars logo, as I always do. The only thing different about the Star Wars logo this time is they added B2 at the end. Uh, B2 EMO for B2 everyone B2 EMO. He's the new droid. Yeah, so they added him at the end, and I checked so we don't have to do it in the next two episodes. He is in all three, and that's the only difference in all three. They don't change them. Nothing is different in the first three. So episode four, I will check to make sure that it's still the same, because I feel like when we did Kenobi, they randomly changed it at random intervals. They changed it. Well, they changed it like episode three or four. They randomly changed so to include maybe the Doc Droid and Ned B. I think it was after episode three because that was the one Ned B was introduced in. So well, well, I'll double check for you all once we get to episode four, but because we have three episodes to cover all at once, we will hurry up and try to get through these as much as we can because damn Disney, why would you release this all at once? Oh my god. <laughs> well, uh, it kind of because they function as one giant movie, essentially. Fortunately, you know, they're all out at once, and I think it worked better that way. But we'll get into it, especially when we get into episode three. Right. Uh, what's going on? Before we start with the the general stuff, there is a bit that Bradley promised we could do. Ah, uh, yes. I'm timing myself carefully. He has promised I could do a Mon Mothma minute at the start of every episode. Now, Mon Mothma does not appear in the first three episodes of Andor. Uh, right. I am, however, claiming my time anyway. And what I'm going to do for the next three episodes is I am going to take my Mon Mothma minute to instead direct people to a Mon Mothma story that you might not have read or might not have revisited lately. So starting the clock um, now. So today for the Mon Mothma minute, I have brought the Rebels season three episode, Secret Cargo. I forgot to look up which episode it was before jumping into this segment. Don't roll your eyes at me, Bradley. I'm a professional with this. Uh, Secret Cargo is the episode in which the ghost crew has to ferry a Mon Mothma who is on the run from the Empire. This is the moment where she leaves the Imperial Senate after denouncing the Emperor and naming him responsible for the Gorman Massacre. It is also widely seen as the official formation of the Rebel Alliance because it is the moment where all of the ships show up uh, to form the Rebel Alliance. Genevieve O'Reilly is back as Mon Mothma, reprising her role from Rogue One and Revenge of the Sith, and it is just a really solidly good episode. I feel like it's going to be important for Andor Season 3, and that is my recommendation for the Mon Mothma story you should check out for this episode. 58 seconds. Nice. And that was Mon That was Mon Mothma Minute. <laughs> I'm sure they'll get better as uh, the show progresses. They but, will. Uh, they will. Well, when I realized <laughs> she wasn't going to be in the episodes, I was like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, the other two stories that I've brought for two and three are stories people may not have read. Uh, but if people okay. haven't revisited Secret Cargo in a while, I felt like that was a thing that people really should go back and check out that episode. Also, Gold Squadron is in it. Nice. I love, always love a Gold Squadron cameo. Always love when Gold Squadron shows up in a thing. It's, <laughs> it's there. It's in the name. All right, Bradley. 
bring us into the at long last let us return to our tv formula all right so today we're going to be talking about andor episode one titled casa cassian andor's reckless search for answers about his past makes him a wanted man Charles, name one thing about this episode that you liked and one thing you did not. One thing I really liked about the episode, and I don't think I made a note about it, but I didn't really note any Easter eggs in the episode until towards the end of it. It took all the way to the end before I looked at something and I was like, that is definitely an Easter egg that is there for no other purpose than for me to look at and go, hey, there's that thing. None of it feels not like Star Wars in the design, but there's very few things that I could point to and say, that is that exact thing from that reference book in 1998 no we don't get a lot of that in uh or at least not that i could tell which is one thing i really really liked it it allowed us to focus on the characters and focus on the world of fairy uh one thing i did not like i understand in hindsight that the episodes is part one of essentially a three-act movie but i thought the ending was abrupt and i thought the ending in episode two was really abrupt as well like they just kind of stopped it and i get I've been talking a lot with uh, my boyfriend about Rings of Power and House of the Dragon and how some of these shows feel like they're intended to be streamed. Like they are written with the understanding that after the first time they come out, people will be watching them just in order. And it feels like Andor is very much written the same way as Rings of Power or House of the Dragon in that it, it kind of knows you're going to binge it. Like it knows after the fact people are going to binge watch this thing through. And I think that's impact the writing and the episode structure in a way that it didn't impact the Mandalorian or it didn't impact Obi-Wan Kenobi. So that was my thing I liked and thing I disliked. What about you, Bradley? Did you write um, it down or are you doing it off the cuff like I I, I did write it down. I'm, I'm kind of in the same realm as you all. I guess my dislike is kind of similar. I wrote down the flashback scenes were too short and seemed a little out of place. The reason why I said this is because, like you said, the episode was meant to be viewed watching all three at the same time. You are not supposed to just watch the first episode and then wait a week and watch the second episode. That doesn't make, that's not how this was written. That's not how they structured this. Then like you said, it abrupts, it abruptly ends at the very end. And that's because you're supposed to continue watching immediately the second it stops. So it didn't feel, for me, I just singled the flashbacks out just because they didn't feel long enough to me. Now, to be fair, not much happens in the flashbacks. So I can't be like mad about that in the sense that like oh I need more in the flashbacks because one they don't speak basic the entire time in the flashbacks so and we'll get there, to that we'll, we'll get, get to that. that point but so there was no reason to make them longer because they are supposed to kind of just convey like a short quick thing but like I said unless you watch them all three back to back they feel weird and not meant to be in the episode the one thing I did like obviously B2 EMO. He is my new favorite droid. I loved the Wally vibes that he was giving the entire episode. Also, he kind of has the same cadence um, as Dio from Rise of Skywalker. Um, when he speaks, I thought that was hilarious. I everything about him. It was it was Chef's Kiss. I love when they do a droid perfectly. Now, however, if they kill this fucking droid, this droid is not long for this world. I know. I'm going to be so pissed because he's already breaking down in this episode. And it's like, okay, y'all are going to destroy this droid and you're going to make a bunch of people cry. And it's like, you're not going to be able to sell any toys. Got to sell toys, people. Leave the droid alone. That was one thing I really liked about um, B2 EMO was like the constant. It's like a really shitty old, like poor people droid. Like the droids 
ones we usually see are owned by people that have the money to maintain them. And that a lot of times, even if they don't, like the ghost crew, you will see that Chopper never goes unmaintained. Chopper never has breakdowns. B2EMO is constantly like, I don't have the power reserves for this. I have to go recharge. I can't hold a battery. And it's like, he's getting stuff like wedged down in him. I I just, I love that droid. Uh, That droid is going to die. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know this for I, I'm almost I am willing to stake money on the fact that the, the droid will die no. by the end of this series. Let's begin. Cassian Andor makes his way to the leisure zone on Morlana One. He enters a brothel and begins to inquire about his sister. After he leaves, he is confronted by two of the guards that were inside. Scuffle ensues and ends with Cassian killing both men. Before we even jump into the episode, I I want to talk about the title card. Let's talk about the Andor title. Because the Andor title card echoes one of my favorite shots in Rogue One. Ah, yes, the Death Star shot. It echoes the shot of the Death Star over Jetta. Oh, it's Gore, that's one, like we said in our Rogue One coverage, that's one of the best shots that's ever been in Star Wars, and it's not even like 0.5 seconds long, and it's an and amazing this shot, shot. This shot mirrors that. Yeah, for and sure. I had to point out how much it looks like. It's almost like the reverse of the eclipse, like when the Death Star comes in in Rogue One and eclipses out the light, it's it's mm-hmm. literally cutting the light off from like the planet, like it's cutting off hope. And because this series is about Cassie and rising as a rebel out of the darkness, this title card is in reverse so right. the light now is coming up from the darkness to illuminate cassie and andor love it anyway that was a long diatribe on the title card <laughs> uh I, I was gonna say uh we've never seen marlana one before we've oh. never seen marlana one before it is completely new for this nice. show however the other thing we've never seen before is do you believe this is the first time anything ever outside of reference material has ever referred to something as bby which i hope they continue this trend moving forward only because one i like it in the sense that not not only does it canonize something that is just reference of time i mean i don't know like there's never a reference to like a star date a year uh anything in all of star wars ever and only the fans have come up with the BBY thing or like it's always been in like references and stuff like that it's never been like a they never say it ever I, I do believe we have Pablo Hidalgo to thank for this this feels like a Pablo Hidalgo thing he probably did make this up um well he, I, he I almost certainly convinced them to do. well because here's the thing right the battle of Yavin is several days after the events of Rogue One right. so what this is is it's both telling us the date 5 BBY and it's counting down to Cassian's death whoa that's so cool yeah so and now it I just, has a yeah. double meaning. And I just realized, you know, when Kathleen was talking about how this takes place five years or the whole show is going to take place within the span of five years, they do need to count us down. They they're need to be like, okay, they're going to continuous, continuously show it at the beginning of every or a certain part of every episode. They're going to be like, oh, now it's year four. Oh, now it's year three. I just read uh, a book called Known of the Ninth, which is the third of the four locked tomb books, uh, which I highly recommend. It is about necromancer space lesbians. Uh, but the author of the book will do this exact thing and it's really effective so they she will say like for example to use a star wars example because i don't want to spoil either harrow the ninth or known of the ninth which are the two books that do this the absolute best uh each section of the book would be like five days before the destruction of alderaan four days before the destruction of alderaan okay three days before the destruction of alderaan and it would gradually count down so you know that at 
that the end of the book, Alderaan is going to get destroyed. Right. And it's it's the Alfred Hitchcock showing you the bomb under the table, so to speak. Morlana one sure is giving Chicago. I was going to say Blade Runner, but yes. I agree with Blade Runner. But I also think like the shots of it, like with the bridge on like the late thing yeah, yeah. that he's in reminded me a lot of Chicago at night. I feel that when it rains, you know, it also reminded me of their scenes in Rebels where there's that highway or there's like that one kind of long the one highway of road. that leads yeah. away from uh, Lethal City. Yeah. It was giving me a similar vibe to that. Like just like that's what it, it's just like a causeway, like some kind of just entrance into the city from the landing pads or whatever like i don't know i just thought it was really really cool oh it's it's neat and i love the like the shot of the city from a distance and Mm -hmm. i also i thought that the um all of the shots of people like from their backs in the trailer were trailer only shots and no they're actual shots from the show is a nice change from rogue one (laughs) yes (laughs) since half the trailer of rogue one isn't even in the movie (laughs) yes because they shot like specifically trailer only footage after right. the martini shot. And I'm like, I'm so glad okay, we didn't do that. Guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, everything, a lot of, it feels like a lot of the trailer footage and stuff is from the first five or six episodes. Yeah. No, notably, I thought a lot of it is in the trailers. And I was like, uh-huh. that's interesting because like all the stuff we see of like Coruscant and stuff, that's all like in clearly the next three episodes. And then all the stuff we saw that's not on Coruscant is all. There's these a three lot episodes. of it's here. Yeah. They just started releasing promos where we can see stuff of Cassian after Ferrix. Right. Yeah. So uh, our unknown hooded figure. <laughs> Yes. Wanders up to uh, a building and uh, that sure is a brothel. Yeah. Uh, I was, I just recently watched the red carpet event for Andor and Kathleen Kennedy said, she's like, this series is going to be a little bit more adult. And I hope that the fans respond well to that. And I was like, huh, every single episode we watched, I was like, this is an adult show or it felt more mature to me, this whole show. Yeah. Apparently a lot of the details of the brothel. And I know there's a line later where they talk about how nobody uses their real name when they're there. Apparently, this is just what I heard secondhand. I wasn't able to do any research, but the idea of having like people out in the bubbles in the window is apparently a thing that will happen with some brothels where they'll put people out in the like the bubbles to entice people to come in and Uh, it's all very like red light district right yeah no it felt that way it was really cool kind of thing uh yeah it it shocked me that i knew it was coming but it still surprised me how blatant it was yeah in this show and there's a seated episode too that also surprised me with they put it in the show right you're like, like oh okay oh oh Oh, yeah. okay. We're doing uh we're doing swinging Richards in Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's I'm do it. here for it. If you if you're not uh specifically an Atlanta-based homosexual man and need me to explain the joke, uh when I was living there, Swingin' Richards was a very prominent gay strip club. So I was a bit surprised to see it pop up in Star Wars. <laughs> right. Uh, don't ask me how I know any of that information. Do you do you want to talk about uh, who walks up to the door of the very obvious space brothel? Yeah, let, let's talk about our, our gentleman, first character. Our gentleman in, in the hood who has walked out of the rain. Uh, tell us who that is, Bradley. So character-wise, this is Cassian Andor. We recognize him from a little-known movie called Rogue One, played by Diego Luna. You want to um, tell us a little about Diego Luna? Yeah, so obviously he was 
was in Rogue One back in 2016. He's also well known for a, I don't want to call it a spin-off show, but I guess it's more of, a, I think it's like a continuation show. Uh, so Narcos is a popular uh, Netflix show. He appeared in a, like I said, it's like a spin-off-y kind of version of that. It's called Narcos Mexico. Back in 2018, he was in that show. He was also uh, a voice in the uh, animated movie, The Book of Life, which is like about Day of the Dead or whatever. I don't know if anybody ever saw that movie, but I remember that. So yeah, he just does, a, he's done a bunch of stuff, but I did find one random thing that he was in that was very relevant to our podcast that I wanted to share. So this is a quick fun fact. Like we're going to get off topic for like one second. Please share. So he he was in a film in 2019 called Berlin, I Love You. And in this film, he played a drag queen. Yes. Yes. And I saw the trailer because I was like, is he in the trailer? Like, I need to see this. And he's in the trailer as a drag queen. And he's like this down on his luck drag queen or whatever, who's like boyfriend just broke up with that. Like, I was like, oh, people, this is probably like an award winning like performance. I think everybody needs to go see this movie. So I, I haven't seen it, but I'm going to seek it out and try to find it because I don't know where it is, but I want to see Diego Luna as a drag queen. Yeah, I'm looking at his IMDb. He's a he's a very prolific actor. He is 68 acting credits listed on IMDb. For context, uh, he's only been acting since 1982. Uh, so he's been acting. Uh, he was born 1979. So he's been acting since he was three years old. So this is a prolific man. This dude has done a lot and also did a little film called Rogue One. He's I mean, just, also, a, just to re- be relevant to us, he did. A we can go through all his credits, but I do want to point out that he did appear uncredited in an episode of The Bad Batch, playing a character named Jimmy. Oh, nope. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I know. I didn't bring this up, but I was going to. But you let he, me you... fall into the pit. Because I, I fell into the another trap. Another movie called yep. The Bad Batch. Yep, I know. I didn't want to bring it up. Same title. <laughs> <laughs> Very different movie with Jason Momoa, Keanu fucking Reeves. Is it? I have to go watch this movie. Yeah, I Holy didn't want to like distract you too much with this, but Holy yeah, fuck, I have to go watch this movie. It's yeah, just a random movie called The Bad Batch that he was in. That is so weird. Yep, I, love I know. It. <laughs> so now also an FYI for everybody we're not going to do this with every character no god no we one don't have the time and two we're only doing this because he's the damn star of this show so I'm not going to like go too heavy into everybody like there is a lot of people in this show one of the things I appreciate about the show is that there's so many characters however I can't go like super duper in depth than all these people because we would be here for four hours i mean in my notes alone i have 17 different notable people that i brought up and that's just in this one episode guys so like <laughs> it's a lot of people moving forward i will probably say like one thing they've been in and one or two why things they're relevant yeah in. like i don't want to be like super crazy with it, <laughs> but you know but it's important to, to note just how powerful of a of a star Diego Luna is right uh especially in Spanish language films like this this dude is not a small guy that they base this around there is a reason he has the leading man energy he does and because he has worked behind the camera and in front of the camera he has been acting since he was three years old he is this man has just an insane pedigree and he loves clearly is having a ball with this part right because they like he wouldn't return to the role if he didn't think that this was a a good story or b he felt like he was doing it justice 
because I, I don't think most actors would return to a role unless they truly cared about the character. And I, you can see that he does when you watch this show. So Cassian goes in and there's some cops at the bar and he is approached by a hostess. Do you want to go into who our cops and hostess are quickly? I will try to do it as from the as resume possible. of everyone involved in this scene. Two of them are relevant for one reason alone. So two people, the bartender, the alien bartender, and the second hostess that comes a little bit later um, in Ghani. the scene. Yes. So there's uh, Ghani and then um, the bartender. So those two characters, uh, one, the bartender is played by Caroline Green, and then the second hostess is played by Letitia Wilson. Both of these two ladies are very relevant because they both appeared as aliens in the Canto Bite scene in The Last Jedi. Nice. So they, this is their kind of returning to Star Wars role. Um, I just thought that would be Spoilers, relevant. Spoilers, they will not be the last people that have been in the sequel trilogy. Oh, will be hell the no. There's so There's many people. There's a big one that's about to come up, but yes. The actual hostess, her name is Margaret Clooney. She, fun fact, was in a, a movie called Last Christmas in 2019 with Amelia Clark. So I thought that was relevant. Nice. thought that was a fun little thing. Um, and now she's in Star Wars. And then now we'll get to the security guards because they're kind of like the glass guys. Let's let's call them what they are. They are they are corporate cops. Oh, corporate cops. I'm sorry. The shitty corporate cops. <laughs> Glorified. Uh, our friend Hope Mullinex over at Jedi's and Jedi uh, mm -hmm. wrote a piece for Dork Side of the Force. She has joined their writing staff. She wrote a piece about how corporate cops in this scene are the mall cops of Star Wars. And that their whole deal seems to be running around harassing people, pressing down with the little power that they like to pretend that they have. And if you're noticing a political theme to this, get used to it. That's going to happen a lot. Just wait until I get to Cyril. So the first guy, uh, his name is Stephen White. He plays the character called Verlo Skiff. He's the one who dies first. He was in uh, Men in Black International in 2019. That's something notable that he's done. And then the other guy, his name is Cra uh, Lee Boardman. He plays Kravis. He's the guy who kind of begs at the end. He, he was in a, an, a Disney movie. I only say this because it's relevant because he almost almost has a Disney trifecta. Uh, he was in uh, the live action version of Jack the Giant Slayer that Disney did a couple years back when they were nice. trying to do a bunch of live action stuff. So, but yeah, that's all I had on all the characters in the scene. I want to talk about the name of the planet that it turns out Cassian is from. And we'll get to the whole retcon recontextualization thing i think next episode is where we're going to get to that discussion but we find out in the scene that cassian is from a planet or at least he's looking for someone from a planet called canari now <laughs> here's the problem is because i am a massive dragon age fan when i am not thinking about star wars i am probably thinking about dragon age and all this is relevant because when i hear canari i think canari and Bradley does not know what that means. And that but was I Dragon Age Minute. Only there are listeners. <laughs> no, it was so confusing because I they said Canari and I'm like, Sten? What? Because that's just how my brain processes that information. It would be like um, if they named like a Star Wars planet, like, I don't know, Sharon Needles. Ah, okay. I see what you're saying. All one word. It was just and a so weird you hear this name word, you, yeah. And your brain thinks 
Sharon Needles from RuPaul's. I almost said RuPaul's Podrace. RuPaul's Podrace. RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> Go listen to RuPaul's Podrace. It is better than RuPaul's Drag Race. But it was that same thing. So when they said this planet name, I'm like, um, okay. This is in fact the first time we are ever hearing of Canari because it is partly a recontextualization. It didn't appear in any of the reference material for Cassian. Uh, it is completely new. We have never nice. heard of it. Uh, I like the line, no one here gives their real name especially when we find out that uh, Cassian is not Cassian's birth name. Mm -hmm. And I find it an interesting theme of like the themes of deception, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that are going to be throughout this series. I I just, I think that line is super interesting. No, I I agree with you. And I, again, like I'll bring it up. It's more an adult theme. Like it feels like, like you would something like that, like going into a brothel being like, nobody here uses their real name. Like obviously because they don't want to get in trouble. And they want to like have their fun and they don't want to get caught, you know, doing anything fun. Like right. it's and all it's implied. Also, it's a personal safety thing too. When yeah. you have people like the Corpo cops running around, if you go in, yeah, if you go into like a go-go bar, none of the go-go boys are going to be using their real name. Occasionally right. you will get someone who uses their real name. Or like if somebody does, uh, you know, some side work on the internet they're not gonna 90 percent of the time they're not gonna 99 of the time they're not gonna use their real name right they'll use a stage name they'll use a stage name right and i think it's interesting to bring that up in the context of what we're going to learn about deception and hiding behind aliases and the power of the name throughout this series and then over into rogue one particularly carrying through to jen in rogue one uh, and the trouble her real name gets her into. So the alleyway scene, let's let's talk about the way it's framed and shot. Because it's it's this tight shot on Cassian's face. Pun intended. Oh my god. <laughs> Continue, sorry. Oh my god. I couldn't pun, let that one go. Pun not intended, but thank I couldn't you. let that go. The focus on his face while he's essentially being harassed by these cops for basically no reason. And like you can watch his face as he goes through this various stages of panic and then trying to figure out what to do. God, I love that choice. And this is such a tense scene. Because again, it plays into being someone in a marginalized community, being somewhere you're quote unquote not supposed to be, being essentially harassed by the cops because they can. But Star Wars isn't political. There's no politics in Star Wars. I just love the way the scene is shot. That time the pun was intended. Right. I also love that they show us that this is still Cassian, that he's like, it's not too much different than the Cassian we've seen in Rogue One, because in the beginning of Rogue One, he's this kind of character. He's still like, he, I feel like he feels bad, but he doesn't feel bad in the same way here that he does later on. Because I think in Rogue One, when he shoots the guy is informant or right because the guy he shoots and they're supposedly friends or they're at least acquaintances right and so he doesn't feel bad bad but he does kind of feel semi bad right like he's like oh well i need to escape like and it's more it's me or you kind of thing this time it's it's more about the consequences of his actions than right He does not feel bad that these people are dead. He feels bad that he will now have to deal with the fact that these people died. Exactly. And that has brought heat on him. He's, he, we see throughout these episodes that Cassian in the early parts of the series is much more out for himself. 
uh, he's he's way more selfish even than we see him in the early parts of Rogue One. And Rogue One, he's still completing this character arc into being somebody who selflessly sacrifices you know, everything for the chance that they might be able to destroy the Death Star. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why I also think it's such an interesting choice to have him kind of fake it out to where it looks like he shot the first guy on accident. Um, Then he just straight wastes the second guy. Which, by the way, way in the face. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's implied that it's like right in his face. And it's like, oh my God, okay. He just executes him. Like yeah. right there in the alleyway. It's, I'm like, it's pretty good. I mean, I mean, obviously way. it's not a good thing, but like it's a well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, no, I, this is such a great intro because you know, it shows how driven Cassian is. It shows the kind of person he is when he's trying to convince the hostess to divulge information that how ruthless he is in the alleyway. But we also see how much of a victim Cassian is of the system by being as low down in it as he, he is at the start of this. On the planet Ferrix, a red ground mech droid named B2EMO meets with Cassian, asking him where he's been. Cassian has a flashback of his sister Carrie on his home planet Canari, where they witness a ship crash. Later, he heads into town and meets with his friend and asks him to help come up with an alibi for the previous night. Do we want to talk about who's playing B2EMO? Yes, because it's very important. I would love to talk about the gentleman who is playing B, my beloved droid. B2. I think we're going to have to call him B2 because I don't want to like, yeah, I think that's like the, his, you know how like, like R2 is R2D2's thing. I think we'll just call him B2. I think that's a, just an easier way to say it. We'll call him B2. Yeah. Please, please go ahead and and tell us about uh, the gentleman who is playing him. Yeah. So the puppeteer, I am assuming the voice, I couldn't like get confirmation on this. I'm assuming it is also the voice. It is the voice. Okay, cool. His name is Dave Chapman and he almost technically has a Disney trifecta as well. And I only say that because he has been in a little movie called Muppets Most Wanted. He did a voice in that, which was great because we love a good puppeteer voice person. Um, He also did the puppeteer work for BB-8 in Rise of Skywalker. So this is the guy. uh, No, he played BB-8 in the entire sequel trilogy. Oh, he did? Oh, I just so have, this is the guy. I just looked at the one. The way they did BB-8, this is, yeah, he's, I think it just credits him as BB, BB-8 for Rise of Skywalker, Last Jedi, and Force Awakens. In Star Wars Rollout, the TV series, he is credited as the voice of BB-8. Oh, okay. I didn't know. Uh, so I believe it's possible he may have voiced BB-8. He is also a the puppeteer for Rio Durant. In solo oh. Star Wars story, we know he's not the voice because Rio Durant's being voiced by John Favreau in that movie. Right. Uh, he is the lead performance for Lady Proxima. Shout nice. out to Midnight Horizon uh, by that. Daniel Jose Older. Uh, sick, sick High Republic reference there. I want to shout out some other things. And again, I, I promise that we're not going to do this for everyone, but this dude's right. resume is so fucking cool that I have to go through some of it. Uh, he appears in The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, in the ma- oh. as the Masked Dwarf Guard in episode fir- four. He's our first Rings of Power crossover in yep, Star Wars. He just, he just needs House of the Dragon, and then he's in the new House of the Dragon slash Game of Thrones, Damn. and then he's crossed over with everything that's coming out right now. Um, but he is the masked dwarf guard that talks to Elrond in the Great Wave episode. Uh, he was also in the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance as the Emperor. Uh, he's also the the puppeteer for the emperor. He's the puppeteer for Gurjin. You should really watch that show. It was very, very, very good. Uh, 
Yeah, really just all around awesome dude. Been in a lot of stuff, big puppeteer guy, uh, but he is the one providing the voice for B2 here. Perfect. So the last thing I want to talk about in this first kind of part with B2 is the Corellian Hounds. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring them up is because I suspect something is happening here with these, quote, dogs. I'm putting in air quotes because they're not actual dogs. They're hounds. In Solo, the original movie that they first appear in, they are actually played by actual dogs. They're played by four different dogs um, that the, uh, I believe the director or the writer or whoever it's his actual dogs or something like that. And he did this because it's like a homage to the elephant from uh, the original movies, who was a Bantha. I want to share my screen with you, Charles. I, nobody else can okay. see this, but I want to share my screen with you because I want to show you a picture of these dogs from Solo. They are so fucking cute. Look at them in these Karelian hound costumes. Oh my God. Is that not the cutest thing oh you've ever seen? Oh my life? God. I desperately need to know if they did this for this. So this is my theory and people out there, you, I haven't, there's no way to check this yet because they haven't done the whole behind the scenes thing yet, but I have a theory about what they did instead. I don't think they're actual dogs. I think if you go back to book of Boba, we see in book of Boba, there's a scene where we see um, the Boston dynamic robot dogs and they're actual robots in book of Boba. I think that these are the same robots just with skins on top of them, just based on the way that they were moving and the way that they run and stuff like it was a mixture of CGI slash. I think these are robot puppets. I think they were actually robot. It, they just moved like the Boston Dynamic dogs. So I'm pretty sure that's what they were. I mean, we'll find out in the we'll find out when the, the, making, the making of Andor, yeah, out. or the gallery Andor episodes come out. But I'm pretty. I'm like 99% sure that these were robots and they were not actual dogs. But I could be wrong. They could also be dogs because like you saw on those behind the scenes photos from Solo, they could be real dogs. So I don't know. Yeah, we we won't know until because some of the movement later on when because I have a note about the Corellian Hounds slash Mastiffs later on, but I guess we're doing it now. These are called Corellian Hounds, apparently. Uh, Some of the movement later on when they're in the yard feels more fluid and natural. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they need a mixture of both. I don't know. It it could be interesting. I just thought like the way they the arms are moving and stuff, it just seemed robotic like, like the same robots. So I don't know. We'll see. But anyway, that's enough talking about fake dogs. But I just want <laughs> I know this episode is gonna go on long. Let's let's move on to the flashback scene. Yes, we jump to the flashback. Which actors do you want to talk about in this scene? Because there's one in particular that we need to mention. Yeah. Um, well, we can talk about the two I have for just this scene that were just standouts to me, which were um, young Andor and then, quote, Andor's which, sister. I'll take the L. I was wrong. That is young Cassian. I was going to say that because- I will take uh, the L on that. You did say in our episode zero, you're like, that's not young Cassian. And then it was I, like- I, mm. I remember reading <laughs> somewhere that someone had said that that was not young Cassian and that probably must have been a misdirect. Well, I'll give you half credit because you are correct. It is not young Cassian. It is Cassa because that is his name. <laughs> so yes. so technically, name. technically there is no Cassian Andor. That is a fake name, which we will learn a little bit later on. So you're half right. This is technically a young Cassa is his name. He is played by Antonio Vina. Um, Vina. Vina. 
Sorry, I can't Vigna. do the little accent thing. I can't say the Vigna. Vigna. Okay. Antonio Vigna. We I didn't we are see famous anything. for pronouncing names wrong. Right. Uh, but this one I I do believe Antonio Vigna is the correct uh, pronunciation. I don't I can't say that for absolute certainty because I'm not a Spanish speaker. Right. I just I just know how to make that noise with my mouth. I was looking at his credits. Uh they're mostly Mexican TV series. So I didn't actually like recognize anything or know of anything um that anybody would know like right off the top of their head. Now I just frantically spent several minutes trying to Google it because I I, I remember reading an article and I think it was about this kid mm-hmm. that talked about uh like the kid not speaking a lot of English and oh. being able to talk to Diego Luna in Spanish. Okay. Uh which was a really cool thing because Diego Luna is fluent in both. But I, I, I think this is the same kid that they were talking about okay, uh, cool. because it does look like he's been in a lot of Mexican TV shows. Right. I also looked up his sister. Her name is Bella Swark. Uh, she's playing Carrie and this is her first project that I could tell. Nice. So good for you, little girl, that you, uh, your first thing ever was Star Wars. You get to I, be in a Star Wars. Yep. You get to be in a Star Wars and it's your first thing. Congrats. Snaps for you. Uh, we're proud of you, honey. Uh, I have two, two interesting notes about this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is it's, it's super interesting that we don't get any of this stuff subtitled. Right. And I did slightly bring that up a little bit in the beginning, but I thought, I thought it was weird. But then in the back of my brain, when I was watching it, I was like, is what they're saying important? Or is what's happening important? And ev- that's what you have to remember every time. There is a lot of visuals. We call <laughs> it, um, I have a note about it later, but in, in my house, we call it visual storytelling, aka put your fucking phone down and watch the TV. Right. Which I'll cop to, that has to be yelled at me quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's the concept of you have to pay attention to what's going on on the screen because a lot of times the dialogue is not going to tell you what is happening and or has a lot of moments like this uh i think the bix one later in this episode was the one i specifically noted Hmm. as being like this is a big moment of visual storytelling where you have to watch what's going on because on to my second note there's been a lot of discussion in certain spaces about timeline and what actually is happening here uh, and I find it interesting that when the ship is going down, there's a kid that is waving her arms around, like for rescue. Like oh. The implication, I didn't notice this on my first viewing, but on the second one, I noticed that somebody's waving their arm. And then so one of the other kids tells them to shut the fuck up. Right. Basically. We will discuss the timeline of what is happening here in episode two. Okay. So we'll probably leave more of the... But we keep in mind that there is a kid that is waving to be rescued in this opening sequence. Okay. Real fast before you move on, <clears throat> I have two notes that I want to read out loud regarding the scene between Cassian and B2. And my two notes are, this is such a nice moment because I think it's an important, it's an important moment to show that Cassian is not all a bad guy. Like it's, it's what some screenwriters would call our save the cat moment, which I think is trash garbage for like, I think it's dumb. I have a lot of issues with the entire save the cat mentality, but this is our save the cat moment of we need to demonstrate that this, we should be rooting for this person because they are not completely a bad guy. Congratulations. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that, but my second note, which is more important is that I would die for B2. (laughs) duly noted we'll write that down on your uh, i like b2 got it i really like b2 yes so cassian walks out into uh ferrix the planet of ferrix uh this is our first mention of the planet of ferrix the first time we have mentioned that 
Now, Ferrix was first revealed, according to Wikipedia, during the Lego set reveal during Celebration Anaheim. And I, it was also the first time that Cyril Karn's name was revealed, and I believe Luthen Rails as well. And I know this because I was in the room when this happened. <laughs> okay, so you knew before anybody else. Just fun fact, I was at this panel. Gotcha. Uh, physically sitting in this room when this happened. Uh, I was sitting next to Brian and Chase from Pink Milk at the Lego panel. Uh, but we've we've never seen Ferrex before. And it seems to just be like a company, my scrapping town. Yeah, I it was going to say mining-esque. Like what we're doing, my next note, uh, after the note I'm about to say, we're, we're going to talk about that. Uh, but I want to also mention, too, that a lot of what you're seeing is a practical set. They yes. built like three city blocks of fair. And yeah. I, I was listening to an interview with um, the woman who plays Bix, Adria Arjana. And she was talking about how during a sequence in episode three, where she has to run around, they told her to run. And she said, she was like, which direction do I run? And they said, oh, just pick a direction and run. The camera will follow you. <laughs> like the so sets cool. were so large, she could just start randomly. So they built like three city blocks of this set. That's awesome. So a lot of what you're seeing, the reason it feels so huge, like he's walking through crowds and things, that sets set with extras. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not CGI. That's not the volume. That's right. not a green screen from the neck up. They built that whole set, which is awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're definitely doing corporate mining tasks vibes um, yeah we're sure. definitely doing company town like mining town sort of vibe uh particularly from the early 20th century uh around the time of the industrial revolution around the time that you would get like factory towns uh popping up in the united states and i'm sure one of our guests that is coming up later in the season will talk at length about this but from what I can tell, this is kind of that aesthetic that they're going for, especially, too, with the corporate cops that are going to come in. And we'll get to the Pinkertons when we get to Cyril Karn, because that's coming. But when I watched this, I was definitely like, yeah, no, this is the... Have it... Are you familiar with a little show called Hades Town, Bradley? No. Okay, first of all, I mean, this makes sense. You're a Pokemon gay. You're not a musical theater gay. You're a TV gay. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, what is Hades don't know. Town? Hades... So Hades Town is probably the biggest example that I can point to right now as Andor is doing the same vibe. Hades Town is a very popular musical retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice, the Greek myth, oh. that's set in one of these like corporate-owned feeling kind of town thing gotcha. whatever the audience will know what i mean when i say hades this has hades town vibes right all three of them come on bradley you know we get more people <laughs> listening to the show it's at least five yeah that know what you're talking about the other 500 are gonna be like oh okay that guy's a nerd i don't know what he's talking about but i guarantee you people will know people will know what hades town is bradley gotcha so i, I want to talk about the scene with brasso but before i do do you want to talk about the actor that's playing brasso yeah sure um so this was kind of weird so on imdb he has one name but then in a few of his credits he has a different first name so i didn't want to like say the wrong name but as the title name that he has on imdb is joplin Sibtain. 
And the only notable thing I saw that you thought you would like was uh, he was on an episode of Doctor Who. So I thought you would like. Oh, that. nice. Let's see who he was playing. I have no idea. Because I don't watch that dumb show. Oh, he's but... been in Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. He's been in Star Wars Battlefront 2. As there you go. Chuk Subtane is apparently the other name he goes under. Yeah, I'm see, scrolling he down has to the Doctor sep- Who because. Yeah, he has like a separate name, but I don't know if that's the one he goes oh, by. Okay, or... he was in The Waters of Mars. I've only seen that once. So I couldn't okay. tell you anything cool. about the character he plays. Gotcha. But he was in the Sarah Jane Adventures as well. She's a go. Doctor Who spinoff. So I was having a discussion with someone uh, in the, the Divas podcast Discord. Uh, I was having a discussion with someone who was like, I found it extremely interesting that Brasso basically has a lie ready to go. And just goes with it. And I made the point, which I want to echo here, that this is a thing you see a lot in marginalized communities, is that they will have these things in place to defend against oppressors of that community. Mm. And the big example that's relevant to us is I remember there was a gentleman uh, who's an older gentleman that lived through the 80s and 90s that I saw talking about you know, in the 80s and 90s, when a gay man would die of AIDS, that he would have set up a network of people that would come into his house and remove and either destroy or store or take any of his illicit material that he might have in his house. And that way, the family wouldn't know what he was up to. There was a lot of like not revealing what would happen, like what people's lives were like to the families. Uh, And that was something that I immediately thought of when I watched this scene. But you see these cases of marginalized communities, a lot of them may be hostile towards one another and not like one another very much. But if somebody outside, particularly an authority, steps in, you will see them close ranks. And I think we're seeing this to a degree with Brasso here, where he immediately susses out, Cassie does in trouble beyond what is normal. Okay, it's time to go into DEFCON 1. And we will see this again in a much broader scale in episode three. So I definitely wanted to bring that up as something that I immediately thought when I watched this scene, because my interactions with other gay men have differed, especially when I was living in the Deep South. You know, there was sort of an understanding among the community of, you know, defense of that community against people who would come in and try to oppress it so that's something interesting that i noted that was going on in the scene and i think this is going to play slightly different in the next episode we're going to see um the opposite of this to an extent we that... are we are going to see where people don't do this because right marginalized groups like does, any yeah. group are not a monolith right uh, and we will we will definitely see someone who does not have this reaction right uh, and who does it for petty shitty selfish reasons exactly but yeah that's an interesting point yep that was my only real point about this scene just a very very interesting scene to analyze but of course star wars is not political of course not of course not there definitely is has been absolutely no writing or storytelling about people in marginalized communities at all i don't think that's ever come up no, that definitely has not come up in Star Wars before. I don't think so. I don't definitely think there's any not. kind of thing like that. I don't, I don't recall anything of that nature. Um, look, this was also a theme on Resistance. And if you go and listen to the full Resistance recap episode of J-Guys and Jedi, you will hear me talk at length about how this is also a major theme in Resistance, which I promise we will get to one day. At the corporate security headquarters <laughs> on Marlano. <laughs> 
<laughs> I hate okay. you so fucking much. All right, moving on. At the corporate security headquarters on Morlana One, the deputy inspector Cyril Karn informs his superior about the death of two of his colleagues the previous night. He tells Karn to cover up the deaths. Karn doesn't seem happy. So the very opening shot before we even get to Cyril Karn... Uh, Mm -hmm. and Chief Hine. I've seen some debate on whether or not those corporate ships that we see, the gunships that they will use in episodes two and three, which can kind of be seen here, are modified Republic gunships. I don't think so. No, they seem too transporty. Like they were a little bit less... They didn't have, like, guns on the end. They They may come from the same company, but I I get they kind of look like them, but I don't think we're looking at modified Republic gunships here. Right. Yeah, they seemed like they're their own thing. They looked smaller, too. Like, they're clearly, like, a smaller size. Like, they're not open. They're not, you know. Yeah. I just want to squash that real quick. I don't think we're looking at some modified Republic gunships. Let's, do you want to tell us about one or both of our actors here? I'll tell you about both of them. Um, Let's start with the the one that's not as important because he's only in this episode. So the chief inspector, Hein, is played by Rupert Van Sittart. Oh my God, these people, these British people with their names. This guy, Rupert, he was on Game of Thrones. So that's uh, notable. And then also he was- Looking at the images, it looks like he played- yeah, I don't know who he was. Is some random I, I'm going to look up exactly who he played. Uh, he was Jan Royce. Don't know. It doesn't ring a bell. Um, unless he has a dragon or a wolf. I didn't give a shit about that character. He so. is in an episode called The Dragon and the Wolf. Shut up. I was just kidding. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. Uh, but uh, more... he looks like looks like he was a minor player in, in The Veil. Got it. Okay. I'm rereading the Song of Ice and Fire books now, so... I, I obsessively have been talking about Game of Thrones. And if you want to hear me talk about A Song of Ice and Fire, you can follow my personal TikTok at CWRoger6, which we're trying to get to a thousand followers so we could do lives on TikTok. There you go. Please tell um, us more about Rupert Van Sittart. I only have one more thing because I thought it was kind of funny. So he was in a small, teeny, tiny miniature movie called Braveheart. Um, and his character's name that is Braveheart. That fucking movie. God, that fucking movie makes me so goddamn angry. Every, so, listen, every person who has ever dabbled in history that you will ever meet in your life fucking hates that movie. Absolutely okay. fucking cannot stand it. <laughs> uh, every person I have ever talked to cannot stand that goddamn movie. Oh, I hate it. I hate that movie so fucking much. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I've never seen it. Keep it that way. <laughs> but the character's name in the movie is so funny his name in the movie is lord bottoms i just thought that was relevant to our podcast for no particular reason yeah welcome to british people names i know hilarious anyway so that was rupert van satart but the one we want to talk about and the one i care to talk about the most is our character of inspector Cyril karn who is played by kyle solar so he's kind of funny because he again almost has a disney trifecta and his is kind of more of a technical disney trifecta um a lot of people get them on the technicalities we can't all be not way and get the the coveted double disney trifecta so he was on a random cartoon tv series that disney did called 101 dalmatian street he did a voice in that show i don't know what he did it was probably not like interesting enough for him to even mention it ever again. Most people would probably know him for a movie called Anna Karenina, um, which he was in. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but that was something Anna, notable. That Anna Karenina. It's a fairly Car- famous Karina book. Karina Nina. 
I don't it's know a fairly famous book. It looks like he's done some video game voices before. Well, that's what he mostly does, I think. So, or well, at least he has done in the past. So I thought that was interesting. But either way, I thought he was great. This character oh, is- Oh, he is knocking this out of the park. So interesting. Like this is the most compelling character on the show. I it ha- To me, this is the most interesting character for a multitude of reasons. Um, oh, just wait until we get to our Imperial Lady villain. Right. Knowing what I know about our Imperial Lady villain, because I read interviews and things because I yeah. can't get away from it. I'm very excited. If you think Cyril Karn is the most compelling character to you. Now, I I would say Cyril and Bix are probably on the same level for me of characters I'm yeah. interested in every time they're on screen. I love Cassian, but I know where Cassian is going. Right, which is why Cyril I like to Bix, focus on I'm like, yeah. I don't know what you're what you're exactly. doing. Those two are probably at equal level for me. And we, we're not quite to Bix yet. We're about to get to but Cyril is so funny because he he's more he's the most compelling to me because one he's an evil twink obviously and yeah you can relate to that nothing is better than an evil twink everybody knows that demon twinks are the most interesting characters (laughs) that you're ever gonna see not Cyril Um, Karn demon twink he definitely is a demon twink Cyril Karn is the demon twink of Star Wars I am sorry Jace Rucklin I am sorry Briarly Ronan this man is the demon twink of Star Wars no he really is and he gave me Ronan vibe like I was like if somebody was gonna portray what Ronan kind of was like on screen this is what i kind of imagined it would be like is this kind of character this kind of person who is always playing by the rules always trying to like impress people above him always trying to like follow the empire as like this like blueprint of perfect success and he's not even in the empire yet he operates on the level that he is so important and that he's in that level of the empire is important and he's not even in the empire yet that's what's hilarious about the character i i hate to say it because i don't want to claim him But regrettably, I do have to say that Cyril Karn does have the worst gay man you have ever gone on a date with energy. Oh, yeah. He seems like a crazy person, and I love it. He he is the type of person that you would 100% ghost after the first date and not feel bad about it. He he has that energy. Yeah. He sucked so much, so much. But I congrats to the man. Congrats to the actor because congrats to Kyle Soler for playing yeah, him. He is so good. Oh my god, the little micro expressions that Kyle Soler does, like if you watch it like up close, the little micro expressions he does, just chef's kiss. And Rupert is eating this scene up. Yeah, like everything Chief Hines says in this scene is 100% correct. Like the scene plays as he's trying to shut the investigation down uh, because he's just so mean and he doesn't take his job seriously and he doesn't want to look bad in front of the Imperial Oversight Board. And then you listen to the words that are actually coming out of his mouth. And it's like, no, this man is completely correct. He immediately clocks what happened. He tries to reframe the situation in such a way that it's advantageous to everyone, including the guys who died. And on top of that, he makes a very good point that you do not want Imperial attention on you. Right. Exactly. And it just, it just shows us like, he knows that his job is like at a certain level where like, he's not super important, but like, he's just trying to like keep his mundane job the same. He doesn't want any excitement. He doesn't want anything different happening. He doesn't want something he can't control to happen because then when you invite the empire in, 
to like assess you and do stuff, they start to take over and then your job's at risk and then other people's jobs. So he's like, like, no, hey, fuck chief, this. why is there a brothel here? Right. He's like, I don't give a fuck. You're not supposed to have a brothel. Right. The cops aren't supposed to be able to afford their uniforms. Clearly he's like, look, we have some corruption going on here and we have some stuff we need to, to turn the other way on. Right. And Cyril's like, no, I must enforce the law. And here's the thing about Cyril too, is that again, this was brought up in the Divas podcast discord that Cyril is a character who speaks about law and order in the way that someone with immense privilege speaks about law and order. Cyril is a gay Republican. Oh my God, he really is. He has gay Republican energy, like cis white man, gay Republican energy. He has never, he has never, ever, ever in his life had to face any sort of oppression by the system and so he is not only super into the system but fanatically devoted to enforcing it to the detriment of everyone around him he has the energy of the person he literally has he should have just complied energy Mm, he has they should have gone through the legal immigration process energy yeah he sucks and i hate him but he's so good (laughs) well the actor is so good i hate the character so much but i've I've always said that if you hate a character that means the actor is doing the best job the actor is the strongest person on screen if they make you hate them that means they are the best person on screen and i you hate him from scene one where he talks or he's like well i may have made some modifications to my uniform to make it tailored up yeah and I'm which like, is fucking hilarious by the way which proves that he's a, a gay <laughs> you are such a pretentious fucking twink like right i will i will call him i will call him as as potentially by depending on what i've heard about him going through the series but that man that man does not have straight energy to me and i i hate saying that because i hate him so much fair enough but he does unfortunately have that little bit of of energy to him uh regrettably so i keep mentioning that the villains are the pinkertons do you want to know why i keep mentioning that bradley yeah because i have no idea what that word is so i would like to. so remember how i talked about the uh barracks having a sort of labor town vibe like a mining town or a factory town vibe so around the early 20th century, when a lot of this was going on, you would have worker, you would have disruptions or you would have workers trying to unionize. Uh, this showed up a lot during the unionization period. Company town owners and things were trying to prevent this from happening. And they didn't necessarily have their own corporate security guys. They would hire the Pinkerton Detective Agency, which is a real thing that continues to this day. Like the agency still exists. But at the time, they would be brought in to quash strikes. They would be brought in to quash disruptions. They were big union busters and strike busters. They were basically like private corpo security guys that you could bring in and you could crush your strike. And that is kind of what the villains of this first these first three episodes are. Is they're essentially security guys. Now, they work for Primor in the show. Uh, and the Pinkertons were contractors in real life. But they do very much have a lot of crossover with the historical Pinkertons and the way they would be brought in to enforce company policy and enforce like company ownership over people and property. And I thought it was a really interesting choice to make them the villains of the first three arc, three episode arc and not the Empire. Because here's the thing about systems of oppression is that capitalism and authoritarianism are intertwined as systems of oppression. They support each other. And the same systems which capitalist interests use to keep their workers in check 
are many of the same systems that authoritarian government used to keep their people in check. The same brutal force, terrible conditions, keeping people downtrodden, keeping people dependent on them. We see this in The Bad Bat. We see this in Solo. We especially see this in Rogue One. We see it a bit in Obi-Wan Kenobi. But that's the thing that is interesting to look at because this, the oppression that the people of Ferrix are facing, especially again in episode three when the Corvo cops show up, is the same type of oppression that the Empire is doing to the entire galaxy. This corporation is just using exactly those same tactics against the people under their technical jurisdiction. And we see debates on whether or not like somebody says that Ferrix kind of does their own thing and they shouldn't interfere. Somebody else later on will point out that they need to be stricter on their sort of territories that they quote unquote own. So I think that's a super interesting choice when you're looking at those systems of oppression and people being tired of it. But Star Wars is not political. There is no politics in Star Wars. As Cassian makes his way into town, he meets with a mechanic to get her to help him sell a stolen part. Another flashback scene happens where the group paints their faces. Meanwhile, in the present, Inspector Shrill begins to track Cassian's ship. Cassian runs into someone who he owes money to, and later Bix leaves work early to contact her connection. Okay, we have a lot of notes here, yeah, uh, but do you want to talk about uh, our Tim Carlo and our Bix Caldine? Yeah, let's talk about the actors for like two seconds. So Tim Carlo, since he appears first, is, um, so he's played by James McArdle. He was also in The Force Awakens. He played a pilot. Um, I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. You can see um, him on screen, same, is not hidden behind a an uh, alien costume uh, alien costume <laughs> that is just straight up his face so paradox uh can't do that just kidding uh imagine if we were like real star wars nerds and we were like um that is actually the same character he's playing the same person because you can't have two of the same people in the show so clearly that's also tim carlo in the force awakens i don't know how he didn't age but that's still him or it's so, his son um, so the people <laughs> you are talking about are are the fandom menace and i don't consider them to be real star wars nerds. <laughs> the fandom menace <laughs> have you never heard of I, heard I saw of that recent i saw i saw that recently on an article and that was really funny um I yes just thought you that was are uh, that is the self-appointed name believe it or not, for the no, toxic not. element of the fan. I believe they coined it. Okay. Yeah. For context, folks, Bradley is not on Star Wars Twitter. And so he doesn't know these things. Right. I'm um, not a that part is of the, that. That is the name for the the toxic element. The only time you go on Twitter is to retweet Funko Pop things. Also, I would Funko say, I, would, I think they're more like, instead of the fandom menace, I think they're more like the attack of the con- it's more i think that's a better terminology for them oh Um, my god moving on wow wow you're gonna have to bleep that word out i just thought of that i thought it was really funny you're Um, gonna have to bleep that word out but good lord good mm. lord bradley (laughs) i mean not that i think you're wrong (laughs) yeah yeah fun fact that that's what they call themselves and that's what people refer to them as the fandom is it's the mostly male side of the fan base that uh that is incredibly toxic and terrible and they take pride in this okay well moving on to bix colleen yes Kaleen? Kaleen? Bix Kaldeen. Kaldeen. I thought it was Kaldeen. Nope, Bix Kaleen. Kaleen. Okay, I was like, did I type it in wrong? Um, Okay. I No, I I think I misread. I I think there's a Kaldeen, but I can't remember who Kaldeen is from that I'm misremembering. Anyway, Bix Kaleen is the character. Bix Kaleen. She's played by Adrina Ajorna. Ajona? 
Ar- Arjona. Adria Arjona. Adria Arjona. Adria Arjona. We, we um, apologize. Yeah. I, I uh, The only thing I saw that she was notable in was the most recently she was in the Morbius movie. I thought that was interesting. She's the lead woman in that movie. I didn't see that movie, but she's in it. She's so also in Good to. Omens. Also oh, okay. Good cool. Omens. Uh, and True Detective. So yeah, I uh, definitely will be on the lookout for her moving forward. See if she's in anything else. But let's talk about her character for a second. Yes. I mean, we might as well. Since we we're might doing as well. It, she's one of the main characters of the show. Right. I I do like her a lot. She gave me like Sabine vibes. Like I was getting like this, like she's very strong, independent woman. She doesn't need a man in her life to complete her kind of thing. Yeah, um, but she has one anyway. Right. And I will say, I am not going to make this point. I am going to echo some women and femmes in my life who have made this point around me. Uh, so this is not coming from me, but I have heard some people express that they are very happy that Bix is portrayed as a character who is independent and is her own woman, but also still is in a romantic relationship because right. there's this sort of toxic trope of like, if you're an independent person, that means you should not be in a romantic relationship. And they liked that she was portrayed as someone who's very independent and her own woman, but then also has romantic, her romantic partnerships with people. And I thought that was a very interesting aspect of the character. And what I like is they also didn't go the the easy route, which is they like any kind of strong, independent female character is obviously a lesbian. And what they did here was she's a strong, independent female who's a mechanic and she actually has a real hard working job you know what i mean thing where right and she's not a lesbian she's not a stereotype she's just a it's easy to pigeonhole them yeah yeah we've seen them in in things sometimes where where they get pigeonholed characters like this will get pigeonholed into either not having any romantic anything at all or at least in our neck of the woods a lot of times the characters will be stereotyped like they will they will take like a lesbian character and they will stereotype them as a very butch person which right is not uh but if somebody does butch things like work in a mechanic shop they will then be stereotyped mm-hmm. and Bix feels yeah she feels like a very she's a very unique blend of character traits uh, which all work together and create this fascinating tapestry of this woman mm-hmm. who you know is in control of her own life and in control of her own path and we will see later in episode three that's something that she's had to struggle very very hard to maintain because it's very easy to be taken away from her she's one of the most vulnerable characters in the show as well to that oppression that has been coming down over this community and over people under the reign of the empire and the corporation also she and cassian have big we fucked energy oh for sure well what i like about her character though is that she's also it seems to be like they were young lovers kind of thing like he and her were if they were together which it's alluded to but we don't know for sure because not not either of the characters have come out and said explicitly i fucked that person but it seems like very like they had a young romance like a teen kind of romance together and like he hurt her in some way and so because of that hurt she became a better person and moved on and then he has not changed like that seems to be kind of like the theme like he was the bad boy or something and she kind of fell in love with the bad boy he's very her toxic ex Right. And she realized like, um, I don't need this guy around because I know what I deserve. And what I deserve is a person like Tim, who, who actually she is fucking, apparently. cares about her. Right. Which this is my tangent of um, don't fuck your co-workers. Which are they? Don't fuck your co-workers. co-workers? They are co-workers. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because he's like, are, are you co-workers. fucking it? He's like, are you fucking the boss? Like, what's going on? Like, 
<laughs> don't fuck your coworkers. That is a bad idea. Right. I promise you, uh, there are there are several there are several rules that I have in place for myself. Uh, and one of them is don't fuck your coworkers, uh, because it never ends well for anyone involved in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a reference to Wobani in this sequence. Uh, Wobani being the ring planet thing from uh, Rogue One where Tivit gets shot. Gotcha. Um, and I now have a note at a little tangent I will call clickbait can eat shit and die. Okay. Because I googled the box that Cassian has to try to see if we'd heard anything about it before. And it was mostly clickbait articles that popped up. Like what is the NS9 star thingy i can't remember the name of it and i went okay uh i will look this up so i typed it in and the first few google results to populate were clickbait articles the box from andor explained so i thought okay if if there's a quote or something you know maybe it's in one of these articles so i clicked on it you want to know their explanation for what the box is let me guess okay wait i'm basing off this is my just dumb person, like person who's never really watched Star Wars, but is like writing an article about Star Wars guest. I'm guessing because of the coloring and like the way that it's designed, it's very Empire-esque. I'm going to say they think it's like the box that goes in Darth Vader's chest or something. Like it's like his chest. Okay, that's extremely dumb. Uh, that is dumb enough to be a clickbait article. That's a good article, I mean, that right? That is not what the direction this article went. So do you remember in episode three uh, where they talk about what the box does? Yeah, that is the clickbait article. Just what the box does? This what the box does literally as explained in episode three. So you just recounted it with no additional information. Now I will say we will talk about the box in episode three because Alex Damon over at Star Wars Explained, the only good Star Wars YouTuber, <laughs> Brian doesn't count because Pink Milk is a live stream. That doesn't count. But right. Alex Damon... Star Wars Explained, the only good Star Wars YouTuber, did go do some digging and find out what the box is. All right. Well, that's a teaser. Where it has appeared before. So I will mention that in episode All right. Teaser for the the third episode. So clickbait can eat shit and die. Uh, Like, that is so dumb that they just explain literally the dialogue in the show. So... I, I took note when, when the camera is panning down over the kids' sort of enclosure as they're getting ready. The kids look like they've been here a while. Also, a while, I, but not a long time. I want to bring up the fact, too, that they're all children. Yes. I didn't notice this until the second episode, but because I wasn't like, I wasn't hyper focused in on it. Like, you know, yeah, they're kids in this episode, and you notice that they're all kids. I didn't I, like something about the scene didn't read to me right away that it was all kids. I just assumed that maybe like adults were somewhere else and we were just focusing on the kids. But after watching all three, I was like, oh shit, there's only kids here. It's a tribe Correct. of kids. Keep, so keep that in mind. Yeah. Keep that in mind that this is a group made up of only kids yeah because the implication is it's supposed to be like you sort of see them in the first little bit your brain thinks oh this is a like a fairly underdeveloped like yeah essentially group of indigenous peoples living on this planet Mm -hmm. and then i was looking at it i was like oh no they're all kids like all of them are kids and we'll get to that in episode two okay coming uh but i want to note that that they look like they've been there a while but not too long also, they have big, like, Lord of the Flies energy going right. on. Right. I think that's that's important, and it'll come up later, but yeah. That's important, it'll come up later. My only note for the Cyril sequence is that Cyril sucks, and I hate him so much. Yeah, I didn't have too much in that section. I just kind of was like, okay, he he's there, and he did things. Cyril Karn were... is the kind of guy 
who thinks that you should clock out when you take a shit. Cyril Karn is absolutely the type of guy who pulls down union posters in the break room. Right. He is absolutely the type of guy to fucking ask the teacher, remind the teacher that she was supposed to assign you homework. Yeah. This guy sucks so much and I hate him. I love it. I do, however, love Vetch. Vetch. Okay, yeah, season. let's talk about Vetch and Nurchi is the other guys. Vetch and Nurchi. Very quick scene about how... Um... Yeah, we can talk about... I, you know, I have a problem with this scene. Not because it wasn't good in the sense that it was... Because one, it was funny. Like, it was a nice little, like... It's a very funny for, scene. It's a funny little scene. However, my editing brain was like, was this even remotely necessary or needed scene? Well, here's the thing. This is the type of scene that is the reason this is a TV show and not a movie. Mm -hmm. Because if you were filming this as a movie, we would drop this scene on the cutting room. Absolutely. Because all it does is it reinforces how disreputable Cassian is. That he owes money to people and he's clearly not going to pay it back. And it's just a character building scene. The good thing about, about doing it as a TV show, you have room for these type of scenes. The episode's only 40 minutes long. Don't let the time code on our Gold Squadron coverage fool you. This episode's only about 40 minutes long. So putting in a scene like this makes sense to me to develop Cassian Andor's character. Even if it's not moving the quote-unquote plot forward it's the uh it's obi-wan kenobi at the um butcher shop scenes Mm. you know it tells us about the character it doesn't move the plot forward but it tells us more about well let's talk talk about about who's playing uh nurchi and cat or vetch so nurchi is played by someone named uh raymond anum um didn't see anything that he was in at all so this may or may not be his first thing two things Okay. He has been in Andor, uh, and he has been in a short called Trouble. Okay, so there you that go. That is so, all he's been in. Gotcha. Now, the next person is way Vetch more Vetch has been in way more Ooh. stuff. Okay, so we can't talk about all of it, but I've noted three main things that were very important that I want to talk So Ian White, uh, who plays Vetch, by the way, he's playing a species called a Eurodal, which is very important because in The Force Awakens, he also played a Eurodal. Uh, he's playing the exact same alien in this that he's played in Force Awakens. Most people would know him for playing 1-1 the Giant in Game of Thrones. So he is the giant in Game of Thrones, <laughs> um, which is really awesome. And then he was also in Alien vs. Predator and Alien vs. Predator 2, where he played an actual predator. So this might be the first person who's played another alien outside of playing a star wars species alien in star wars that i can notably like find he's just a a big dude who does a lot of puppeteering work a lot of puppeteering work you know Uh, he is seven feet one inch tall Mm -hmm. this is important to me and no one else uh so i do want to list off some of his game of thrones credits because he is known for playing more than just one one. Okay. He has actually played several different characters. He plays White Walkers. Uh, he plays Dongo the Giant. He plays one one. Plays Giant White number one. And then in season two, he plays Gregor Clegane. Oh, so you remember okay. how they swap Gregor Clegane's like three times? He's our second Gregor Clegane. Is he the actor who killed the Mandalorian no. in that season? Okay, thank you. That's he all I need. He's not the actor who killed the Mandalorian. Okay, that's all I needed to know. So Bix goes in and she meets up with two gentlemen, uh, a father and his son. We will see them throughout the first three episodes. Uh, Wilman and Salman Pack. Do you want to talk about who's playing Wilman and Salman Pack? So, like I said, 
I had a lot of people in this episode and I couldn't get every single person. So if you have it pulled up, you can bring them up uh, real quick. I do have it pulled up because okay. I do want to talk about one of them, at okay. least uh, the guy playing Salmon Pack. Uh, the guy playing Salmon Pack is Abhin Galia, uh, who has been in just a lot of random stuff. Uh, he's he's kind of a that guy, but he's been in a lot of different things. Uh, nothing that I recognize, a lot of background stuff. He was in Exodus, Gods and Kings. He's a voice in Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, but he's had a pretty long, uh, pretty long career. I thought he was pretty cool. Uh, the other the other guy, the guy that's playing Wilman, Muhannad Bahir. I apologize. Um, this is the second thing he's ever been in. So those three show up in all three. Those two show up in all three episodes. So I wanted to at least bring them up. Uh, and this is, again, the scene where I talked about the wordless storytelling, what we call visual storytelling with her going in and chiming the thing into the tower uh, and how she makes her way there. So those were my only notes on that sequence. Moving on. Inspector Srill asks, is it Surreal? Cyril. Cyril. Okay. Cyril. <clears throat> Inspector Cyril asks his team for updates on the case. Cyril is determined to solve the murder case and puts out an order for Canari men to be questioned. Back on Ferrix, Cassian talks with the starship lock guard, and the guard tells him he won't do any more favors for him. In a final flashback scene, young Cassian and the tribe begin to set out for the fallen ship. His sister wants to go, but he makes her stay behind. Everything about the setup in the serial scene, from the guy eating blue noodles at his desk to the shit, the manager is coming. Yep. Mm, chef's kiss. Absolutely um, perfect. It's worth noting that there is a takeout in Star Wars. There like, is. Oh, you need to just preface that, that there is takeout. That, yep. there, that just exists. There is a <laughs> guy a eating takeout at his takeout. desk. Yep. In- and in I love that his blue, I love that his blue noodles because that's going to be something they're going to serve in the parks now. Um, yep. Just blue noodles. <laughs> I believe you can get them on uh, the Halcyon. There you go. That's you where they're blue from. Noodles. Blue noodles. So I'm going to read my exact note about Cyril. Are, are, are you ready? I'm ready. Man, this guy sucks. Oh my god. Okay. Well, you're just going to have to get over it. Demon Twink is here to stay, and he is going to be solving this murder one way or another. So, Demon Twink absolutely like sucks so much, and I hate him. Uh, and again, props to Cal Solar because he plays this guy as such an abhorrent little like vicious piece of shit like he comes in and he's like the worst middle manager you've ever had who's like everybody cyril karn is the type of person to unironically say if you have time to lean you have time to clean how many of these do you have by the way how many i have these... so many okay well let's save them for more we're gonna be doing this so the rest of the show oh my god i can't with you okay so i found a chart of one of the uh establishing shots from the shipyard scene and this is our first easter egg oh okay this is our first time we get something that's in there as an easter egg i feel we've talked about the difference between an easter egg and a thing that is a part of the world all of the things we've seen up to this point have been things that are part of the world this is our first time we see things that are easter eggs and i found a chart uh, which goes through some of the ships in this. It actually goes through all of them, but I'm just going to read out some of these ships. Okay. Uh, in the bottom left-hand corner, we can see a Y-Wing. Over to the left, we can see a ship that looks a lot like the Bastoon Legacy from Rise of Skywalker. 
we can see uh, what looks like a VCX-100 light freighter, which is the same ship model as the Ghost. Uh, we can see what appears to be an early design of the Razor Crest. Uh, and we can also see a ship which has appeared several times in the bottom right-hand corner. We can see a ship that's appeared several times in the background of the Mandalorian. All, all of these ships have appeared somewhere before, uh, or something similar has appeared somewhere before. But I did want to point all of those out. That's that's my only note for that particular scene. Um, so the the last note that I have for just this entire thing is just, or just this scene, is the character of Pelga. Yes. Um, who is played by Kieran O'Brien. Um, the only notable thing I saw that he was in is Ted Lasso. He appears in that show. And yeah, that's a guy that's in Star Wars now. So there you go. Very nice. My final final note is that, uh, again, we will get to how old Cassian is in these flashbacks in episode two. We will have a big part where we talk about what's happening in these flashback scenes. But never fear. I have noted how old I believe Cassian is in this scene and yep. why that is super interesting. Yeah, not that. Just, the episode just ends right there. Yep. Right after yeah. the flashback scene. It's over. Yeah. And I'll just go into my final thoughts because this is relevant to the scene. This felt like it was abruptly ending and it did not feel like the end of the episode like it just kind of was like well okay that's it over now like and you don't know this until the third episode but this is a very important scene because this is the last time cassian sees his sister up uh, that we know of so this is a very crucial scene in his character and yet it's very just kind of like Okay, you stay behind. Like, bye. And then and the they just end the like, episode. Yep, that's it. It's over. And you're just, just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, hold on, hold on, guys. Like, this is a pretty important, like, moment. They needed to make it a little more emotional or a little bit longer because it just felt like they glossed over the fact that this is the last time he sees her. And yet in the beginning of the episode, you saw he was looking for her. So it's like, I don't know. I, I felt like it was too short. But overall, I did like this episode. I thought it was good. I think it was a solid start. In the terms of by itself, I don't know if it's like super strong all on its own, because I really do believe you need all three to make a complete story. I agree. And I, I worry that we're going to run into when, when it starts on the weekly release next week. I worry that, that it's going to feel like that. Uh, when we when we are dealing with these longer episodes, because each it's it's four three episode arcs, right. and I feel like if they needed to release these first three, so we get an idea of what a full arc is like for this show, and then they're going to go into the others. And I worry that the weekly episodes going into the weekly episodes um, that may diminish somewhat, uh, because I felt like Book of Boba suffered a lot for this, and I feel like Rings of Power is suffering in particular right now from this that it's it's sort of intended to be watched all at once. And right. the fact that it's not may come back to bite it slightly. Uh, I will I, say I, that all of the work that's done in this first episode to set up the people of Ferrix, set up the world, set up the characters, all of it, uh, absolutely top tier A, A class stuff. Like mm -hmm. by the end of even just this first episode, we know who basically every, we've met basically everyone except one, one or two major characters. Uh, we won't meet Marva and the other police guy until episode two. And those right. are the only two we're really missing. Uh, Luthan doesn't really count. Yeah, because he doesn't show up till the outside. Yeah, he's yeah. an outsider uh, in this, but we know who all the people of Ferrix are. Right. We know what's going on. And I think it does an adequate job of setting that up, uh, especially introducing our, our three 
I find most interesting characters thus far, which are Cyril, Bix, and of course Cassian himself. Alrighty, um, we've still got to record another one of these today, Bradley. So do you want to just go ahead and run the socials so that we can get out of here? Let's get out. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did Charles fuck something up? Send us a message at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post the podcast as well as exclusive content. Please join us next week and every week for more of Gold Squadron Gaze. I mean, how many times are you going to say that line? Um... I'm going to keep fucking saying it. Right. Because I keep getting distracted going on these rants about capitalism. I'm not going to stop doing this, Bradley. I don't care how long the episodes are. This is my one opportunity to bitch about capitalism. I'm going to take it. Do you want to move on to the next scene now?